Welcome to Team Building Cultures, the podcast designed to deliver tools and tips for improving team communication, collaboration, and fostering a culture where teams thrive. Now, here's your host, Beverly Hathorne, owner of Strategic HR Consultants. Hello, fellow podcast listeners, and thank you for joining another episode of Team Building Cultures. I am your host, Beverly Hathorne, and today I have a very distinguished guest. I'm speaking with Mr. Joshua Bird. Joshua is professor and program chair at the School of Criminal Justice and Information Technology at American Intercontinental University. There, he manages the recruitment and mentorship of the faculty. He's also vice president, program manager of strategy and security at Hawk Protection Group, where he oversees program management and strategy. He's also a former Marine. He's a former police officer and a volunteer for 100 Black Men. He works with the youth and teaches gun violence among teams, the de-escalation processes that they can utilize in that he's working to win a fight, meaning you could lose your life. So he's trying to help these kids understand that it's not always that important to win that fight because you could lose much more. So Joshua, thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate your time. And kind of let's tell our listeners what you do at American Intercontinental University in terms of creating and developing teams. Sure. Well, first of all, just thank you for having me and taking time to speak with me today. I think it's important what you're doing. Um, What I do here at uh, AIU Atlanta uh, in a short and sweet way is really what I do in all of those roles you just shared. And that is I'm simply trying to save myself. It's very selfish of me, but what I try to do every day is to make a difference in the lives of folks who grew up in similar ways and similar circumstances that I did. And so here at AIU Atlanta, where I chair the schools of criminal justice and information technology, I teach, I manage faculty. But the reason why that's so important is because I never saw myself being a professor at all. In fact, I never saw myself going to college, but because I had a high school student who made it a classroom assignment for us to apply to college, he gave us a stamp, he marched us to the mailbox, and we sent off our application. No one in my family uh, that I knew of or was aware of had ever gone to college, and my parents and grandparents hadn't even uh, finished high school, and so I had no aspiration of going to school but Mm -hmm. that left an impact on me and so for that reason and several more that we may talk about today I'm just trying to give back in the way that I was given to and I find that I can do it uh, frequently and in a meaningful way as a professor. Wow that is an awesome start so you had a leader who actually led you to become a leader. How about that? (laughs) Indeed, indeed. We definitely need more uh, opportunities along those lines, and we need more people who are willing to go out and grab people and help them along the way. Sometimes there may be something there that only needs 
a little water, a little fertilizer. Sometimes there's a seed there. And right. you are you are definitely evidence of that. So tell us why it's important to you um, to do what you do with the kids, with the uh, gun violence uh, among teens, how you're, tell us what you do there and, and, and how that's going. Yes, yeah, so I'm a relatively new member of the 100 Black Men of Atlanta. Uh, there, I chair the Anti-Gun Violence Committee. Uh, you should know that uh, just last week, we had our second annual uh, poetry, essay, and arts contest, uh, which involved, invited five different schools, and we were able to award over $1,000 in scholarship um, uh, proceeds to those students who won the contest. We did it last year as well, and we also, uh, two or three weeks ago, we had a anti-violence symposium where we had some of the most uh, respected experts in medicine, sociology and trauma surgery, you name it, and including a former Surgeon General of the United States at Clark Atlanta University, we held a symposium on this idea of gun violence and, and calling for a public health response. And in our committee, uh, the committee I chair, we also spearheaded that effort along with the Satchel Health Leadership Institute, the Morehouse School of Medicine, and the King Center. And so the work I do in this capacity is 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 meaningful because at seven years old, I witnessed, uh, I guess, my first homicide of seven years old living in Techwood homes. Um, Techwood is the uh, first federally funding housing project here in the United States, as far as I know. And uh, it's it's currently where, mm -hmm. I guess, Olympic Village was, and went to Georgia yeah. State, now Georgia Tech. But walking home, I saw someone shot and killed. And no one called the police. I never told anyone for years. Uh, because we were so fearful of the police at that time and the Red Dogs, which stands for Run Every Drug Deal Out of Georgia. And so I just kind of held that in. And then again, at about 17 or 18, I was held at gunpoint and uh, I did all the wrong things. I uh, basically challenged the person to pull the trigger. I, I escalated the situation and thankfully he didn't do it. But I did it at a time where when I was in high school, uh, I lost several peers to gun violence one shot on campus and killed another shot at a house party for stepping on someone's shoes and didn't apologize quickly enough and so gun violence in this topic is really near and dear to my heart and when uh, i joined the organization i really joined for that reason to to make a difference in this area because gun violence mm -hmm. had become so prevalent uh in our society and so Again, just trying to save myself as someone who has been held at gunpoint and lost friends and family members uh, to it, uh, just wanted to make a difference there. Wow, that's quite a story. Well, I, for one, and I'm sure my podcast listeners will agree, but I, for one, commend you on the work that you're doing. And as many people as we can get involved to give of their time and their energy to help the youth to kind of make it over that fence because so many of them do not. Mm -hmm. And so many of our youth don't have anyone to turn to like you as um, a, a symbol or as somebody that they can look up to and someone who came from where they are, some of them. So it's not like you came from a different environment. You've been right there where they are. So you can talk to them where they are and you can relate to them. 
So I'm wondering, how do you get, how do you go about getting the young people to engage in your programs? Well, fortunately, years ago, the 100 Black Men of Atlanta worked with the Atlanta public school system and ultimately petitioned them and was successful in getting an all-male school created, which is uh, Best Academy. And uh, part of that was that an all-girls school was also created, which was Coretta Scott King. Um, and so we run a lot of projects uh, out of that school, one being Project Success, but we've got Saturday school. We've got opportunities for youth to uh, get and earn college scholarships. And what I've fortunately been able to do is come to their school on Mondays, something they have fresh start Mondays when the entire school comes together and it starts the week off and I'm able to address the youth. Or I've gone in and done conflict resolution and de-escalation type uh, workshops in the afternoon during the after school programs. And so that's how I've been able to, uh, you know, get before them and speak to them. And and I and I guess if there has been any success, and I think there has, we've we've got a lot of recognition, which is only part of it from the awareness standpoint, from CBS News to, you know, a number of different other media outlets. But I think it's just allowing them to be themselves. And as the phrase goes, people don't really care how much you know until they know how much you care. And a lot mm. of times they can feel that. And I talk all the time about this, like this 4D approach, this all in approach. And what I mean by that is you've got to be willing to get dirty and get wet and 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 go all the way in. It's not one of those situations where you can just come drop off some literature. You've got to mm -hmm. ask the questions. You got to show the empathy. You've got to really listen and feel them. And I think they'll respond. Uh, but so often uh, folks like to stand out and stand off and not really go there uh, with the youth and really uh, get in the trenches and, and try to understand their mm -hmm. perspective and what they're living each day. Wow, that's interesting. Well, for the ones that you're able to reach and engage, I'm really happy for those youngsters. And I, I hope that maybe someone listening today might be interested in either engaging in one of your programs or maybe a program where they live or maybe starting their own program because mm -hmm. it just starts with someone, like you said, with someone caring enough. And then you'll find other people to support and engage and carry you along the way so that you're not doing it alone. So I, I think that's really wonderful. Talk to me a little bit about what you do uh, at the Hawk Protection Group. I understand that you're Vice President, Program Manager, Strategy and Security, and you oversee the program management and strategy for them. So talk to me a little bit about that and how you lead that team. Sure, sure. And and just to, to say it again, it may sound like I do a lot of different stuff, but I do one thing <laughs> and I try to save myself. You know, when I'm doing work with the 100, I'm trying to save that me who grew up in communities where gun violence was also prevalent and violence was. And so um, I was a person who lived in a place where safety was a concern. So now as an adult, I'm able to do 
uh, and play a part in providing safety for others like I once wanted and needed. And mm -hmm. so it's really all the same to me. And so with this company, we we actually just received notice um, last Friday that we'd be the recipient of the Paysetters Award from the Atlanta Business Chronicle. That's wow. one of the uh, fastest growing startups, uh, probably held companies here in the city of Atlanta. Uh, only a few companies selected each year, so we're proud of that. But we started the company during COVID with the vision of being different. And again, it's exactly what you're saying about young folks and wanting to be part of a team and wanting to come in and, and have a culture that supports them. And so we've been very intentional about once you join the day you come on board, everyone is going to say welcome and congratulate you and high five you and welcome to mm -hmm. the team. Mm -hmm. We're going to stop by. We're going to check on you. We're going to let you know how valuable and important you are. Mm -hmm. uh, we're going to make sure that all of your needs are met, but we're also going to set the bar extremely high. Um, one thing that I've learned from the Marine Corps is that folks often do like a challenge. Sometimes you've got to figure out what that challenge is or how difficult, you know, the difficulty level, but folks like a challenge. Folks like to be able to stretch themselves and grow and learn. Mm -hmm. And, and to the point that uh, you made a little earlier, whether we were on the podcast or off, uh, you, you referenced being in companies where folks just don't want to sit around and wait on the opportunity for growth. And so growth and advancement is key. And so I'm always working with uh, our employees as mm -hmm. well as our clients um, who may be in need of some conflict resolution and de-escalation training, who may be in the need of some sort of training that we can provide. And we are calling ourselves like the Rich Carlton gold standard of security. And we're looking to offer that level of uh, service. And I think we've been able to do it because we've been intentional on embracing uh, young talent and, and understanding them and knowing that we don't understand them fully, but doing all we can to continue to evolve and, and meet them where they are and, and kind of bring them up to the level that we want them to be and that our company operates on. So it's, I think, just being intentional and, mm -hmm. and, and again, listening listening to what they want to do and where they want to go and trying to figure out how we can make that happen as a company. So that's a lot of what I do uh, with the company right now. That's awesome. Particularly, I like what you said about your, basically what it is, is an onboarding process when mm -hmm. people come in, how they're treated. Because I read a statistic that said 55% of people leave a job or don't apply to a company because of the onboarding. Mm -hmm. So once you, you're, it's, it's just like anything else. The first impression is the only impression. You only get one time to make a first impression. So, so it's, it's nice to hear that your um, people, when they come on, that they face such an open and inviting environment. So from the very beginning, they can expect to be treated a certain way. And that's fabulous. I, I really think that's wonderful. I also uh, particularly like that your company has been recognized and that you continue to strive to, for greatness and excellence in your company. That's wonderful uh, receiving those, that award. And um, 
I'm sure you'll continue to go on and get many more. Just having chatted with you for this little time, I can see that you operate in a lane of excellence. So that that is really great. Um, I'm really happy to hear that. Thank you. So I also see that you've served as business consultant for some Fortune 500 companies. Uh, you can mention the name of the companies if you want, or you don't have to, but tell me what you did in, in those areas. Was that your own uh, consulting business or were you freelancing or how was that working? I was in a formal contractual employee-employer relationship with two companies who I won't name, but they did relatively well. And it was just after law school, uh, I was looking to figure out what I wanted to do and where I wanted to go and what was next and sort of in that in-between. But I found and gained some valuable experience. Part of what I did was uh, a business consultant. And uh, mm -hmm. part of that was also sales. And some of it was cold call and door to door. Mm -hmm. And, you know, during that time, if I'm honest with myself, it was the first time I ever listened to some of these uh, Zig Ziglar's and some of these, you know, motivational speakers who really talked about sales. And I was listening now to Les Brown and Jim Rohn. And I'm like, wow, I got a lot of positive uh, insight, a lot mm -hmm. of skills I gained listening and developing. And I think that, you know, that along with a few other things, just a few, that really catapults me to the next level, having to face folks and listening to their needs and understand their pain points and still try to provide that service, knowing that other folks were in competition. And I think I really got a good idea and understanding of what people wanted when it comes to business. And they wanted quality service. They wanted yes. you to be on time. They wanted you to respect their business. They wanted you to understand their business before you try to come in and sell them something so a lot of that I took with me and was able to add value uh, when we formed uh, and when I joined Hawk Protection Group and I think that that has gone a long way it's also gone a long way in my role as a professor because teaching at a certain point is selling and what I mean by that is students will listen to you and respect you if you're presentable as a mm -hmm. business consultant, if you're on time, if you are prepared, mm -hmm. if you've done your homework and your research, if okay. you know where they're coming from. And so there are a lot of transferable skills. And so my time um, as a business consultant, even though it might not have been the most prosperous time of my life, was probably one of the most informative times. And uh, I learned and gained a lot. And I'll just say this, uh, not to go too far back, but like I said, I never dreamt of being a professor, but I'm always trying to give back. And I had finished law school. I was working as a staff attorney here for this uh, multinational uh, consulting firm. And I just wanted to volunteer. I said, I'm not doing enough. I used to volunteer so much. And so I went to a school uh, near the Pittsburgh community where my family has resided uh, since the 1800s, 1867 mm -hmm. to be exact. And I said, I want to volunteer. They said, well, we don't have any volunteer opportunities, but let us see your resume. So, well, give me your resume. No volunteer opportunities, but we've got a class that needs to be taught next week uh, <laughs> here at our Leadership Institute, teach a senior law enforcement professional. I said, I'm not a professor and I don't teach. They said, well, you've got the credentials. Would you do it? And I said, yeah, I'll do it. And after that, 
they enjoyed what I was able to do and, and ultimately asked me to prof- uh, apply as a professor. So that's how I became a professor. I never, you know, went through the formal, I want to be a professor. I was just trying to volunteer and it sort of just happened. So uh, I know things happen that way, uh, but mm-hmm. that's how I became a professor, just trying to give back. And again, trying to give and save myself. Let me make an impact in communities like the one I grew up in. And so everything I do is the same. I can't I can't see the world through uh, a child who grew up in a billionaire household. You know, I grew up Section 8 housing projects, welfare. I dreamt of having all the new school clothes, but we didn't have them. And like I grew up that way. And so I'm trying to reach those folks. And by the way, I'll reach other people as well. But there is a target population that I know I understand. And so that's all I try to do every day. That's awesome. You know, it sounds as though you are a very good, um, you're evidence that our paths are laid out. We have but to follow them. Mm -hmm. And we all have a contribution to make. And sometimes we don't even know what that is. But if you're following that path as it's laid out for you and not pushing back and not trying to go in another direction, if you're just following that path, you can come to your true purpose. You know, when you talk about where you were born and raised and how you came up, it makes me think of a Christmas story where uh, they talk about how the angels came and spoke to the shepherds. Now, you have to understand the significance of that because the shepherds were the lowest paid, the um, lowest educated, you know, the the angels could have very well came and spoke to the kings, Mm. but they didn't. They came and spoke to the shepherds, you know, and so you were, you were brought out to do what you're doing. And we're so fortunate that you're actually following that path because it's very clear None of it was even from the time you started college. That wasn't your plan. That Mm -hmm. was a plan for you. Your professorship, that wasn't your plan. That was a plan for you. And the things that you do with the 100 Black men and the kids, that, that was all planned. And we're very fortunate that you followed your plan. So I'm 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 really, really happy to see such effort placed in the youth. Everything you do from teaching at American Intercontinental University to the 100 Black men to the gun violence among teens. And then you have another program that's called Teach Us, right? Yes, yes. So again, within the same framework, Teach Us is something that was birthed out of my professorship at a previous institution uh, where I would on Fridays bring in guest speakers, just trying to add an extra layer of education mm-hmm. and experience to, to students so that they were getting all that I felt like they deserved, um, mm-hmm. that they were paying for. And so I would bring in a subject matter expert here, a judge there, a community person, a formerly incarcerated person, just to talk to them. And soon we begin to say, well, wouldn't it be nice to take a trip to go here or there? 
And so we took a trip around Atlanta and looked at historic Atlanta. And then they said, well, let's go here. And then we went there and they said, let's go here. So we started mm-hmm. taking these different trips, learning about the evolution of law, policy and social justice as it impacts our society. And more specifically, as it relates to us as criminal justice scholars, researchers, students, um, professionals, etc. And so what happened was uh, when I left my position there and, and sort of started working full time as a staff attorney um, uh, where I was working at the time, um, I attended one of the commencement ceremonies. That was like all of my students, that's what most, most of them were graduating. They said, Professor Burr, we have a gift for you. I'm like, I don't have a gift for you all. It's your commencement ceremony. Like, I felt bad. So they gave me an envelope and they gave me quite a few hundred dollars, not like one or two or three. They gave okay. me a substantial amount of money. And they said, Professor Bird, based on what you've done, we want you to start a nonprofit. And in the moment, I said, I will not start a nonprofit. <laughs> I will continue doing the work because that's a lot of work, you know, doing the nonprofit and the meetings, mm-hmm. et cetera. But I did um, start a business and the business was Teach Us, which stands for Teaching Ethics and Cultural History for Urban Stakeholders. And so with Teach Us, both during and after, we took trips to like Selma, Alabama, um, Montgomery, Alabama, Tuskegee, mm-hmm. Alabama, St. Augustine, Florida, um, Savannah, Georgia, uh, Charleston, South Carolina, and now we've done multiple ones here in Atlanta. I've even done Teach Us um, uh, events up in Forsyth County. There's a new event that I'm doing now, Teach Us Oscarville, uh, which tells the story of the African-American or Black community or Negro community currently, but no believe the uh, surface of Lake Lanier, uh, just north of Atlanta, Forsyth, where in mm-hmm. 19... Um, I believe it was 1902, 1912, um, 1912, I believe uh, Mm -hmm. all the, you know, black population was kicked out following the rape of a young white girl. But I say all of that to say teach us was something that, again, students encouraged me to do. And I'm, I'm just here trying to live that out. And so the reason why it's important is because we believed um, as we were working together as groups that law enforcement cannot understand the community that they endeavor to serve unless they understand the culture of that community, which includes the history of that community and the ethics of that community, which includes what the community believes is right and wrong. And until you understand the people you're trying to serve, we don't believe and I don't believe that you can properly serve them. It's sort of like going to a restaurant and not even receiving a menu. And then the mm-hmm. server just gives you what they feel like you want. <laughs> like that's what policing is when you do not understand the population you serve. You don't even know what we want off the menu. You're just giving us what you think we want. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes that doesn't work. So that's why Teach Us is so near and dear to my heart. Um, now I do a lot of work with Teach Us when it comes to Teach Us uh, verbal judo and de-escalation and conflict resolution. but ultimately, ultimately, my long-term goal is to do a lot of teach us abroad, um, you know, because I, I know that other countries are not experiencing the same rates of incarceration as we are here in the United States, the mm-hmm. same rates of uh, violence and gun violence as we are here in the United States. And so I think that there's a lot we can learn from other countries and cultures. And I don't think that it's information that is 
currently not available. I just think that some of the individuals who are in power have not exercised a decision to take advantage of what other folks are doing, whether out of ignorance or fear, a mix of both or just, you know, something else. And so, um, but that that is what um, I'm most probably passionate about. And again, mm-hmm. I bring that into the work I do here at the university. So we've done um, trips around Atlanta. We've done, you know, Teach Us Oscarville here uh, just last month. And uh, so everything I do, it's, I try to pull them all together. And uh, it's all about remembering who I was at 12 and 13 years old when I looked for a mentor and, and, and wanted a father in my life and, and, and had questions. I'm trying to answer those questions. I'm trying to be that mentor and I'm trying to provide that security that I so badly wanted. And so for me, it's, it's just one thing. I'm trying to take care of the little boy inside of me. And uh, by doing so, I'm able to help so many other people. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Team Building Cultures. We hope we have delivered helpful and enlightening information to help you create your dream team. Join us next time.